People believe that they are being inclusive, that they are being tolerant. I see that, I understand that feeling, but actually until you understand how other people feel, you don't really get it. And I think things are changing where we're starting to have those much more grown-up conversations about, well, actually, this is why I work in a certain way or why I exhibit a certain behaviour, because there are things going on in people's lives that we don't necessarily understand. David Coleman is the chief executive of University of Birmingham Enterprise and he is a passionate advocate for diversity and inclusion. That's just one of the topics covered in this interview. He also tells us about the importance of Micra and its ambition to raise a fund, how the TTO has grown over the years and also manages a research park, a life sciences incubator and engages with local entrepreneurs, and why Birmingham is the place where he ended up staying for more than a decade after working for several other universities previously. David, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having us here. I really appreciate it. It's a huge pleasure to have you, David. To start with, can you give me an overview of University of Birmingham Enterprise with some headline figures if you have them handy? Yeah, of course. So University of Birmingham Enterprise, with universities team specialists who help academics create new services, new products, and new enterprises from their research. So we're about stimulating and showcasing the growing entrepreneurial culture at the university, identifying, protecting, and licensing intellectual property, creating new spin-out companies, so that these academic ideas can get developed into real-world products and services. And we try to equip the academics and businesses that we work with with enterprise skills so that they can you know, better compete for translational research funding and investment and so on and and create that impact in the world. So we also negotiate consultancy agreements for academics working in the industry. And we manage the Birmingham Research Park and and the Biohub and other business startup facilities that support development of new technologies. And we work very much within the region as well, you know, trying to attract business, industry, policymakers, investors and funders to work with the university and make the region an attractive place to start and grow a business. In terms of you know, round numbers, we're just kind of totting up our year-end figures at the moment. But in round numbers, our turnover is over three million pounds. You know, that's from IP commercialization, academic consultancy services and rental income. And at any one time, we'll have about 25 to 30 tenants on the research park and a similar number of virtual tenants as well. We have over 200 active licenses, portfolio of over about 35 spin-out companies, and those spin-out companies are collectively worth in excess of £300 million. So it gives you a kind of an idea of scale. Yeah. You used to be known until three years ago, I think, as Alta Innovations. Can you give me a bit of an overview of the office's history as well? Yeah, of course. Alta Innovations was originally incorporated in 2008, and that was to provide intellectual property and commercialization services. And to be a managing agent of Birmingham Research Park. And at that time, the research park was 49% owned by Birmingham City Council. So there's been quite a lot of change in that time. And I guess some of the key things were around about 2014, we developed the new biohub on the research park. There was a really good opportunity to do more, to do more business incubation. We acquired the council share of the research park at that time. Then we just agreed, actually, it made sense to kind of rename and rebrand ourselves as University of Birmingham Enterprise Limited, because actually, we are very close to and a part of the university. 
whilst it can be beneficial being branded in a slightly different way, actually, we can do so much more when people realise and understand that actually we are part of the university and its ecosystem. So it made sense to be University of Birmingham Enterprise. And then in 2019, we completed the actual acquisition of Birmingham Research Park Limited. So all of it is now under the one University of Birmingham Enterprise Limited company. Amazing. You've mentioned Research Park there. Obviously, you've mentioned the Biohub. You also have the Bizin. Can you tell me a little bit about what each of these components does? I mean, Research Park is kind of in the name, I suppose. We'll start there. The Research Park is this, you know, it's a vibrant community of researchers, entrepreneurs, commercial companies. It was one of the first science parks in the UK, formed in 1986, you know, and it's gone on to support the creation and growth of well over 100 companies in recent years, and also in recent years to become a key part of the West Midlands innovation ecosystem. So we're talking about three acres located very much on the edge of campus, which is brilliant as compared to some other places where there might be elsewhere within the city. It feels like it's on the university, it's part of the university, and it's become the place to go for academics, for graduates and other entrepreneurs looking for training, investment and facilities. So, as I mentioned, it's also home to the Biohub Birmingham, and this is a fully serviced by medical incubator and accelerator. So it houses life science companies who are at proof of concept through to expansion stages. So we've got shared laboratory offices there, but also single occupancy, mixed offices, mixed labs as well. So there's a wide range of facilities that's on, which is really, really good because I have to say it was very difficult to kind of retain some of those life science companies within the region. We've got so many that start up here and are associated. It's brilliant to have the Biohub. And then in 2017, we extended that further and we developed some grow-on space on the first floor of that Biohub, which very quickly became full. So it really shows the demand that's there. So we mentioned Bizin as well. Enterprise you know, works very closely with the university, with our regional stakeholders to develop our ecosystem. So that access to investment, people, help and advice, you know, is all as simple and as effective as possible. And the biz in is our space and community, which is located on the research park, from which we both educate our potential enterprising academics. But it's also from which we support both emerging startups and high growth businesses in the region who can get advice, guidance and training usually through one or more of our regional business support programs. And I think that's so important that actually we collaborate because if you know, we start doing too much on our own, it creates quite a lot of noise in the region. So we very much use it as a collaborative base and we support the university in other ways. You know, we support our careers network as they're looking to develop the student entrepreneurs. You know, and we work with our micro consortium as well. So Midlands Innovation, Commercialization of Research Accelerator. Yeah, gives you a bit of an idea of hopefully, yeah, the busy in the biohub and the research park. The full package. We'll get to Micro in, in a second as well. I want to talk about your own moves at Birmingham. You only took over as chief executive in February this year, following James Wilkie's retirement, obviously, after 14 years in charge. What is your vision for the office? Over the last six months, I have to have learned a huge amount about myself, about the role. But also, you know, about the organization, about our staff and our customers. And you, you think, OK, I've been here 11 years, I should know a lot of this, but you see it through a different lens. 
And I've been reflecting on a number of areas that we should be looking to develop further. And this next year in particular is going to be really exciting as we look to now set out and start on a new direction for the next you know, five to 10 years. We are at the start of that journey. I've got somewhat of a vision how the organisation should uh, develop. The shorthand is that we should be diverse and inclusive at all levels. We should be fully connected and optimising the relationships that we have with our key stakeholders. And we should be capturing and measuring the right data to drive intelligent decisions. And I could flesh it out a little more if that's helpful. To be an organisation which is efficient and effective and resilient as well, we need to ensure we've got joined up thinking, really joined up thinking, you know, across all our areas and a deep understanding across the organisation of not just the financial, but the reputational impact of our offerings, how they link together, how we can most effectively market and sell those offerings together. And we need to understand and be very clear on what are the biggest financial and reputation impacts for our efforts across all of our functions. Again, very clear joined up offerings where we can so that we can help our customers, whether it's the university, whether it's the businesses we work with, to take their important innovations to market. Our regional ecosystem, that is shifting at quite a pace, as I'm sure other regions are too. You know, and our role within that is incredibly important. But we need to be clear how we're going to keep on helping the wider university and our other regional assets, like new buildings we've got up. We've got a new exchange that's opening next month in the city. We've got a new precision health technology accelerator that's being opened in the next couple of years. There's other incubation facilities as well around the region. How do we help them? And how do we ensure that we are making the best use of them ourselves as well? And the same goes for our many varied interests in investment and translational funds as well. And I'm a real believer in measuring what matters. You know, we need to be clear on what's important to us, what we should be measuring, ensuring that we can actually obtain the data we need that help us monitor and manage our business performance effectively and drive the most intelligent decisions. You know, and it isn't all about hepsis that drives a certain type of activity, but actually we've got to be clear on what's important for ourselves. And all of that has to be underpinned by ensuring that diversity and diverse thinking is embedded into everything that we do. So it kind of gives you, a, you know, without giving away all of the, this is what we're going to be doing over the next year or two, but this is, I think, what underpins a lot of what we're going to be looking at. No, I think that makes sense. And I wasn't necessarily wanting a step-by-step guide of how you're going to change the organisation. So yeah. Are there any areas that University of Birmingham Enterprise is already very good at? It's very interesting. We're good at lots of things and we're very good at certain things as well. I'll just start with what sets University of Birmingham Enterprise apart, I think, from other technology transfer offices. The thing that sets us apart is probably the mix of offerings that we have and the location of where we are. That may feel a bit, I don't know, it might seem a bit weak, but actually it's so important. No, I think you know, it makes sense. Yeah. It feels like we're a part of the university and indeed we host the majority of the business engagement focused staff of the university are within the research park as well. And we're hosting and supporting regional businesses, but not just in the same way as other research parks or other science parks, because we're practitioners. So when we're talking about how, or maybe we're advising them, giving some insight into how we might negotiate with customers or raise funds, we can do so with the fact that actually, this is what we do. We do this all the time. How have we done certain deals 
know, what challenges are we aware of? So it gives us quite a different lens. And we have very good partners, very good relationships to draw on that help us to commercialize the university's own intellectual assets from our relationship, again, with the micro universities, with Minerva Business Angels, with other funders, through our partnership with CRT or new partnerships such as uh, B Lab 1407 uh, with EvaTech and BMS. We do kind of set ourselves apart. There are certain things that we do very well. I think consultancy is a function that's grown incredibly well. We have a function that does operating divisions, and there's things emerging where you can see actually services that start at the university can kind of go through consultancy and then become spin out. So there's a lot of unique stuff that we do and unique mixes of things that we do as well. Are there any specific challenges that you face? I think we face lots of challenges a lot of the time. (laughs) The obvious one right now, which everyone is facing, is the way we work. Hybrid working, inclusion, you know, that's going to take quite a while to work through. I think getting the data we need sounds obvious, but that also is not that simple because you've got to work out what you need and then you've got to have the systems to do that. And we rely on a number of university systems, which aren't always the easiest to navigate, but are improving. And then there are other things that maybe have crept up on us a little bit, such as the complexities of international commercialization. You know, we do do things in other countries and with other countries, but that is getting quite complex. And on the one hand, it's very much encouraged, but on the other hand, it's becoming a bit more bureaucratic and we have to be quite careful. So there were um, immediate ones that I could think about, but there's lots of challenges. Yeah, that makes sense. You've mentioned diversity inclusion a few times, so I might jump to that question. Do you have any numbers or do you know how you fare when it comes to engagement from researchers or spin-out portfolio regarding diversity and inclusion? Okay, whilst I think we do work with a very wide and diverse group of academics, I definitely wouldn't say that that means we're being purposefully inclusive because actually we're just at the very beginning of our understanding of what the issues might be. And and this isn't just about gender and ethnicity, it's about broader inclusion and it's understanding how we best work with people who have different backgrounds and experiences to ourselves. Yeah, I mean, this is something I'm very passionate about. Maybe the extent of my passion might have surprised people when I first took over. People believe that they are being inclusive, that they are being tolerant. I see that, I understand that feeling, but actually until you understand how other people feel, you don't really get it. And I think things are changing where we're starting to have those much more grown-up conversations about, well, actually, this is why I work in a certain way or why I exhibit a certain behaviour, because there are things going on in people's lives that we don't necessarily understand. I think that's something that we see on a societal level as well, obviously. It's not enough to just not be racist. You have to actively engage with your own thinking and with other people. And yeah, so I- That's right. It's not about being tolerant. It's the next level. It's about diverse and creative thinking and how we work together collectively. Are there any initiatives that you have started or that you want to start to improve this at Birmingham? I'm part of the EDI group within our finance office. And I think there are some really good initiatives that are already starting. So I mean, the first thing I would say is that if we're going to affect change, firstly, we've got to look at who we do have. And we've got to 
develop the brilliant talent that we've got. We need to ensure that people are properly empowered and that actually people have the opportunity, diverse groups have the opportunity to deputize and to get involved at the highest levels because it's only by involving people earlier that they get the experience that they need that makes it easier for them to progress. When it comes to recruitment, again, I see some you know, very positive development. We've just developed a pool to be used across our finance office. So this is a group of diverse volunteers who we can use on recruitment panels. I mean, this is great. And I've just used it. Literally, we formed this a month or two ago, and I've just used it recently. And this helps us to ensure that we have a consistency of approach, that EDI is properly considered within the recruitment process, and that actually individuals are getting feedback on how we can develop and improve further. And I think that's really exciting. And it's an opportunity, it's a development opportunity for that pool as well to get engaged in things that they wouldn't necessarily get engaged with otherwise, which is great. And I've been looking and thinking about our recruitment processes quite a lot as well and how we can better explore and understand how people can add to our culture rather than fit with our culture. And I think that's the big change. And I know that people who have been recently interviewed by me as part of that recruitment process, I think it's been quite interesting for them, the nature of the questions that we've had. But that's why we're looking for what people understand and what they can add to that culture, as I say. Whereas in the past, oh, you've got to fit in with the culture. No, 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 no. We need to add to it. And we all need to fit around each other, actually, to encourage that. It is very much the start. We're getting lots of conversations going. We report into the finance office, which is why I talk about this at the finance office level. It's actually easier to have those conversations as larger groups, I think, because there's more experiences too. We've been bringing line managers together to have these conversations about why we might need to change, how we might change to explore ideas. But there are challenges. The university is diverse. There's no doubt about it. But it isn't, and its leadership is not as diverse as the region that we present. And, you know, we need to think about that. And I think a lot of people who live locally probably wouldn't even think about working at the university, partly because they think you've got to be this professor level academic to be working at a university. And I think we need to work harder at engaging with our region and letting them understand that actually this is a place that anybody could work in and could develop, particularly within professional services. That's very wise. I know you're at the beginning, but it already seems like you've been doing this for decades just from listening to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think it is the beginning because I don't think anybody has the answers right now. I think the next couple of years is going to be about understanding and having conversations. And just when things go a little bit wrong, if someone takes offense at something that somebody says, to have a conversation, okay, about why they got offended. And we've got to be patient with each other. That's going to be really important. Yeah, have the difficult conversations. Absolutely. Do you actively encourage your spin-outs to build diverse management teams as well? I think we're trying, again, early days. It is hard because, of course, as companies mature, more and more down to them. But of course, we can be an encouraging voice, you know, whether it's on the board or on the sidelines. In many ways, I think 
the opportunity for our spin-ups to be more diverse is slightly easier because actually there is some brilliant talent that's out there that is diverse, but also slightly more challenging, partly because, okay, there is brilliant talent out there, but they're in great demand, but also because, and particularly in the early stages, companies are cash-strapped and they focus very narrowly on what they need. I guess the irony is that actually that's at a time where they need to more diverse and creative thinking. But it is a challenge and it's something that we want to try and develop, but we're not going to be able to do it on our own. We have to work with others so that we're increasing the pool and we're increasing the opportunity and the pressure, I think, to try and make that happen and to get that diverse boards, diverse management and so on. It's not easy. It's slightly easier having a few more women on board, some very experienced people out there. We're still not seeing quite so much ethnic backgrounds, diversity on those boards. And that's something we need to look more at. And we're in a region where we should be able to. Yeah, Birmingham is a very diverse city and yeah, Midlands very diverse as well. Do you actively encourage spin-outs to pursue any ESG initiatives or do you take more of a hands-off approach there? So what we are doing is when we're in the early processes of forming companies, we're trying to get, we call them spin-out candidates, okay, spin-out candidate teams. We're trying to get them to think about how they want the companies to be governed at a very, very early stage and trying to include things like this within it. I, what is important to those who are founding the company? You know, what are the underlying principles and the core values of the company that are going to be developed? So I think that's where we have somewhat of a role to play. But, you know, that's just trying to get it right in the early stages. Really, it is up to the companies to kind of pursue their own programs and decide how they're going to use their funds. But I think they will be doing more and more of that. And I think investors are more and more wise to that as well. So I think they will be getting more pressure from their shareholders like us and like the investors. You've mentioned volunteers working with you earlier as well. Do you run any internship programs? Our IP services team in particular, you know, they will often take on students, particularly from the med school, actually, but sometimes from elsewhere, give them an opportunity to work on some interesting projects and to develop some expertise. So we do do some of that each year. Our research park also takes on an apprentice each year as well. I think it's something that we would like to do more of. And again, it's something that we are exploring collectively with some of our other finance office colleagues to see if we can develop, whether it's internships or graduate management training schemes, those kinds of things, if we can do more to develop people to be able to get a career in technology transfer and entrepreneurship and so on. I want to move on to Micro as well. We've mentioned it a few times now at Middle Innovation. Can you tell me a little bit more about this program and how it adds value to Birmingham? Absolutely. So we're part of this consortium, Micra. So a bit of a mouthful. Midlands Innovation Commercialization of Research Accelerator. So it was set up as a pilot project and funded by Research England's Connecting Capability Fund. And it brings together the technology transfer offices of eight leading research intensive universities in the Midlands. So we have Aston, Cranfield, Kiel, Leicester, Loughborough, Nottingham, Warwick, and ourselves, University of Birmingham. So over the last couple of years, we've been working together to explore and develop initiatives, ways of working across our offices that can help accelerate the speed 
at which innovations our institutions are developing and working with can get to market quicker and increase the chances of success. And that's involved, you know, things like funding over 65 proof of concept and incubation projects, over 4,000 hours of collective training of our enterprising academics, close office interactions, sharing of best practice, co-promoting opportunities. And we're starting to see the benefits from that. We've got a number of new spin-out companies that developed or emerging. I think it was at least eight so far that benefited from the collaboration. Over £1.3 million of uh, additional match funding attracted to our innovative projects. Over 30 industry collaborations fostered some 60 jobs created or safeguarded. So it's really been, you know, increasing our performance, but it is just the start. It's a pilot. And that's the takeaway. You know, this pilot collaboration has worked and we intend to develop it further into the future so that we can do more to accelerate commercialization of our region's innovations. I think the one thing in particular that we've been convinced of for some time is that we do need more investment to be attracted into the Midlands. You know, and that's something that we are very much working on trying to push. And in fact, we've recently engaged a fund advisor to help us explore and develop a concept for a regional patient capital fund that can fill some of that gap. Amazing. That would have been one of my next questions. Are you interested in raising a patient capital fund? Would this be along the lines of something like Northern Gritstone, which would invest off the balance sheet? Or would it be something that goes out and raises EIS funds, for example? That's why we've brought fund advisor in is to help us work out, okay, what would an attractive structure of this be? There's benefits from different approaches, you know, whether you get an existing investor to come in and manage the fund and raise the funds, or whether you build your own team and you invest off balance, you know, GPLP structure and so on. So we need to look at all of that. But there's very definitely a need. The question is, what would it look like to be attractive and to raise the funds that we need? You know, can we raise something really, really big all in one go or does it need to be raised in different tranches and so on? So that's part of the exercise of the fund advisor. One follow on question I did have from potentially raising a fund is you've already mentioned you need more money. Is it generally difficult to access capital and talent in Birmingham? It's a fair question. And I think answer in different ways. I think it was easier than it was 10 years ago, or at least it was 11 years ago when I first started, but I still wouldn't call it easy. There is that leveling up is still required. We're not looking to develop a fund just for the sake of it. The fact is that demand for funding far outweighs the supply. And it's it's not just a spin-out issue. I think in recent report that we had commissioned, this is Bohurst report, the standout figure is that whilst the Midlands has 11% of the UK's high growth companies, the region secured only 5% of the investment in the UK's private businesses last year. There is a real need to do more, but there's the willing. There's a lot going on to try and help do things. And I've mentioned Micro already. We work with Aston and Warwick to further support and develop Minerva, for example, you know, try and get more interest from new business angels, develop closer and earlier relationships with our portfolios. I think finding talent, I suppose it's naturally got a little bit easier as our networks have widened and and Micro and Minerva and our partners help with that. But there is still a gap that we need to bridge there. And I think that's actually become a bigger gap, you know, going back to the diversity and inclusion point of view, you know, the, the more we want to and we should be attracting more diverse talent. So there is a big gap there. And 
I think there's a lot of work that we need to do. What I would say is that I very much admire what Northern Accelerator have done with their uh, executives into business program. And I think formal programs like that across a number of partners is probably a very good way to go because this isn't something that I think any one institution can do on their own. I think working in partnership to widen those networks, to make it easier for diverse talents to know where to come and to attract them, I think is going to be important. Yeah, I remember speaking to some of the people involved with Northern Accelerator and the executive in business is what really got them going and what helped them build the program basically around that one initiative. And it's quite phenomenal. So if you could pull that off in the Midlands as well, I think you'd be off to a blind start. Whether it's the same program, a slightly different program, or working with them as well, you know, I think it's an area that we're going to need to really develop and look at. What lessons have you learned in your career so far that maybe you are applying today or that you would want to share with others? That's a tricky question to answer. I mean, I've been in technology transfer within a number of different institutions for well over 20 years now. And I think the more I learned, the more I've realized that I don't know stuff. <laughs> and uh, the curse of the smart man. <laughs> well, that's right. And uh, kind of, you know, things evolve. And we have to be careful that we don't think that we are just experts because we've been working in an area for such a, a long time. Things do evolve. Our approach to spinning out companies across the sector within the University of Birmingham has changed. And it needs to change from the, the modus operandi that I brought in when I first started at Birmingham back in 2010. It's a constant evolution. It's a constant change. And I think that's one of the key things that I've learned is that don't always assume that the way that I've done things in the past or the things that I've seen work in the past always apply going forward. Our ecosystem is changing. The university sector is changing. And actually what we have to, the most important thing is that we are resilient and adaptable to change ourselves. You have been in tech transfer for a couple of decades. They started Imperial, Bath Ventures, and then joined Birmingham. What brought you to Birmingham and what has made you stick around for 11 years? Other than the promotion, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very interesting question. What brought me to Birmingham, I think, was the opportunity that I saw here. And it was an opportunity to focus at that particular time. I was very interested in focusing more on the spin-out side of things. So you know, I, I came to Birmingham as head of spin-out portfolio. I will be honest, I didn't think I was going to be here for more than a couple of years. I saw it and I saw the region as being very vibrant. And I thought, well, there'll be opportunities to, to do other things and kind of use it as a stepping stone in other ways. The reason I have stayed is because the city and the university have just changed so much over that time. And there's been just amazing opportunities to further develop what we do, what's happening at the university. And it's just been incredible. When I first joined, you know, the research park, I don't think was quite the vibrant place it is now. You know, we still had lots of tenants, but there wasn't quite the same engagement. In fact, I probably spent more time going off elsewhere and having meetings elsewhere than I, you know, I do now within the research park. Okay, remote working changed that a yeah. little bit. And, <laughs> yeah. and we've gone on and we've developed, you know, the Biohub, new offerings for life sciences. We're developing a new life science campus, but Birmingham Health Innovation Campus, Precision Health Technology Accelerator that I mentioned. We developed a new enterprise acceleration team. We started doing 
much more business support and incubation. And it's just been, you know, one great opportunity after another. And of course, it's given me opportunity to really further develop as well. And now all of a sudden I find myself, you know, CEO of University of Birmingham Enterprise. It's just been fantastic. So you can be caught out. You can be surprised sometimes. But I would say that Birmingham and the Midlands in general is fantastic. I can't really say I totally knew what I was getting into when I moved. But it really, it's a fair place to live and a fair place to work as well. So, uh, yeah, it's a great environment. Yeah, I can see that. My brother studied at Birmingham, so I spent quite a bit of time on your campus and in the city in general. And I really like, well, I haven't visited in a few years now, obviously, but yeah, I always like to. And And when you come back, you'll find it changed again. We have this beautiful Green Heart on campus, this beautiful new library. We've got collaborative teaching buildings. We've got new buildings, part of the business school. You know, it's just changing all the time. It's a lovely place to work. I think last time I came up and actually saw what was then still Alta, you still had an empty floor in the biohub. So I imagine it's, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything you would say to someone entering the profession today? You said you're doing a lot of interviews. Is there anything that you tell candidates? I think, oh gosh, entering into it today. I think what I would say to anybody coming to work at a university right now is actually, and probably any employment, is to think about diversity and inclusion. Okay, It doesn't matter what background you come from. You need to think about it. You need to think about how you are going to get the best out of others and about how we work most effectively as a team. That may sound a bit general and generic, but I do think that is really important. And I think that is so important in commercialization and entrepreneurship today that it does underpin you know everything that we do. What else I would say, if you're going to come into this profession, I mean, it's, it's brilliant because what we're doing is taking ideas, innovations, you know, and we're really trying to get them to have real world impact. It's fantastic. And you've got to remember why you're doing it. That is also important. You have to have a passion for that. This is not all about money and making money far from it it is about actually you know trying to make important things happen that are going to change the world make the world a better place to live are there any changes in how you are working now that you hope will become permanent fixtures remote working in some way shape or form is here to stay right we can't ignore it <laughs> it's happened this is going to be a very very interesting area it's going to evolve and there's going to be developments, I'm absolutely sure. We're going to have some interesting time. So I'm spending more and more time at the office at the moment, although I'm actually at home today. You know, generally, I'm spending two or three days a week in the office. And I have various colleagues, some who are there all the time because they manage certain things where they have to be there all the time. Some that choose to be there because it's easier for them it's easier for them to do their job within the office and they're there a lot of the time and there are others who are still very much working from home most of the time that we're kind of encouraging to spend a bit more time back at the office and it's hard because i think that people have done such a brilliant job working remotely they have been very very effective and are very very effective in in so many different ways But the question is, what about the things that we haven't been doing or maybe we've forgotten about, you know, in terms of engaging with each other, engaging in much more creative activities, engaging with 
others in other functions across the university. And I don't have an answer to that. I don't think anybody does. I think there is this question, you know, should we be mandating that people spend more time at the office? I've got an idea as to how much time might be effective, but kind of a bit resistant to mandating at this point in time because it comes back to the inclusion question. And actually, we've got to work out how people work most effectively with each other. And I think some people are more themselves or feel more included because we've had that opportunity to remote work more. And it's easier for them to be part of a much bigger meeting, maybe get a bit more say than they would otherwise do. And all of that has to factor in. And I think actually we're going to have to change our behaviours hugely. And I think that's what this pandemic has shown us. We can change our behaviours quite quickly, but we're going to need to continue to do that. The danger of everybody just working from home all the time. I see that as a problem. Well, I see it's a problem for me. And I see it as a problem for line managers. You know, you might think you know exactly what is going on. You might think that everybody is really happy and things are going very, very effectively. But it's only when you really see people or you see them working with other people that perhaps you fully understand just what the dynamics are. And I think there will be a challenge for line managers if the expectation is that we're supposed to know exactly what's going on with all of our staff all of the time and we're not seeing them face to face. And yet we all benefit from working remotely. So it's going to be quite a challenge, but certainly that is going to be here to stay in one shape or form just for what that balance, what that new rhythm of working is going to be. That's going to take some time to work out. Yeah, I think you're right there. It's time for my favorite question, which is what is your favorite spin out that's come out of University of Birmingham so far? Oh, no, I feel really bad. I don't know this question. <laughs> I can't answer it. <laughs> no wonder. Um, well, I, I, most people I, don't. I, I can't answer because it, it wouldn't be fair. And what I'd say is that, you know, there have been those that I've loved working with. And there have been those that have really impressed me and often really surprised me. You know, I didn't think they were necessarily going to achieve as much as they have. And, you know, in terms of how they've performed, there are those that have been seemingly working brilliantly and then suddenly something just goes wrong and it kind of falls apart it's quite difficult to predict so i think it's very difficult and dangerous to talk about favorites <laughs> i think whenever we're doing a new spin-out company you know you can become quite passionate about it and it can become a bit of a favorite for a while but ultimately you're developing a standalone company we may have a relationship with it we may be on the board we may be an investor and so on but I think it's a bit dangerous to be in that mindset of having favourite companies. Have there been any big financial successes in terms of spin-outs? There's not been huge, huge financial successes. We've had some. We've IPO'd where we've had you know, a few shares and we've started to get a bit of income. And I think we've had more and more of that income from the sale of shares in recent years. They've been big from our point of view, but they've not been massive in the grand, grand scheme of things. We were very pleased, for example, when Native Antigen Company was sold last year to LGC. That game, not saying it's a favourite, but, you know, that was always a company that I was very impressed with. You know, we created that. I was on the board of Hybrid Biosystems at the time when we merged Hybrid with MyTech to form Cyoxis. And we decided to hive out this service into a new company, Native Antigen Company. 
you know, we weren't quite sure at the time whether that was the right thing to do or not, but we did. And that's one company, one of a few that really seemed to perform to its business plan. It is a rarity. And I think it did really, really well. And it was great to see that, you know, the impact that it had last year, generally, in terms of its offerings and helping with COVID and all that. And then that sale was great. And it was a nice little learner for us. We are very nearly out of time. Is there anything else that, well, there's a lot of things we haven't covered, I suppose, but is there anything else important that you want people to know? University of Birmingham, Birmingham and the Midlands is a fantastic place to live and work. And that collaboration, I think, is so, so important in everything that we do. And I think it's a very important thing in the world of technology transfer at the moment. Good closing words. David, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day, especially with the end of your financial year coming up. It's been a huge pleasure talking to you and learning more about what's happening at Birmingham. Thank you, Thierry. It's been a great pleasure talking to you as well. Talking Tech Transfer is hosted by me, Thierry Hales. It is produced by Global University Venturing, a Morsonia Limited publication. You can find us at globaluniversityventuring.com on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing, or on Twitter at GU Venturing. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. You can find them on inearproduction.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an interview. We'd also really love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps us grow our audience. You can also reach out to me directly with feedback. Just email thelis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That is T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. Goodbye.